What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us for the podcast today. Today, we are going to talk about the sermon from last weekend, which was Upside Down. It was week three of our series, Upside Down, which is going over the idea that the kingdom of God is, in so many ways, the reverse of what we consider kingdoms here on earth, and the power dynamics are sort of upside down. So the questions that we came up with from last week's sermon, the first one is, if I don't give money to the church, does that mean that I'm a bad person? Why is the church so concerned with money anyway? And so what I'm going to do first is just kick it right to you guys and see what your thoughts are on this question. Is it the case that if someone maybe isn't tithing or isn't giving money to the church, that this is a reflection of the person's character? Take it away, Todd. Yeah. Character. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily say that it's a reflection on the person's character, but it is a reflection on um, their understanding of the gospel, their understanding of what it is that God is really getting at and getting to in reference to not only our money, but all of our resources in this life and whether or not we trust in those things to meet our needs or whether or not we trust God. So I think it gets at those things. I don't necessarily think that it means they're a bad, a person of bad character. I think it's that they lack understanding. Well, I think your character is built on your values and what you value. And obviously giving is something that reveals your, what you value. And so like, you know, right where your treasure is, your heart will also be, well, turn that around. Like where your heart is, your treasure will be. Right. And so like, that's how you develop your character is through recognizing certain, certain values and practicing certain values. So I'm not saying someone's a bad person by not giving, um, by all means, if I can say this, the most respectful most respectful way. Um, maybe they be maybe ignorant to mm-hmm. how the kingdom works and therefore that, that giving um, is just not on the radar. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the story of the rich young ruler is pretty useful when it comes to this topic. So you have this guy with the rich young ruler who is by all outward appearances wanting to follow Christ. And he's also by I would say by outward appearances, an upright individual because he claims to have kept the commandments from his youth. And Jesus doesn't disagree with that part of it, but he does show the rich young ruler that he's falling short and that he's unwilling to let go of his wealth and follow Jesus. And so the issue with the rich young ruler was not that he wasn't a good person. It was that he wasn't following Jesus. And I think that the reason why these things are separate is because you can imagine a reality in which the rich young ruler would compromise his character in order to preserve his wealth because his wealth was sitting at the top of his hierarchy of value and Christ wasn't. And so even if someone is um, even if someone is keeping the commandments and is, is good, let's say, which we can talk about that too because I think we run into issues when we suggest that people can be good inherently. I'm not sure that that's the case either. Uh, I think even in that story, we see a reflection of that when uh, the rich young ruler says to Christ, good teacher, and he turns around and says, who are you calling good? Only the father is good. Um, So it seems to me that we can get ourselves into a place where if we hold money as our highest value, then 
it, it's very easy for us to compromise our morals in, in service to the money, in service to preservation of wealth, or in service to gaining more wealth. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know that it stops with wealth. I, I really think that what it comes down to is what is functioning as our Savior in any given moment, right? It's easy for, for you or me or any one of us to say, you know, I trust in Jesus for my salvation, uh, but often what we're thinking of when we say that is, I'm not going to go to hell because I've trusted in Jesus, right? Which is true, which is good, which is a, an incredible gift. But Jesus didn't just come to purchase salvation for eternity. He didn't just come to save us from hell. He didn't just save us from something. He saves us for something as well. And that for something is for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God to be expressed and brought to bear in the here and now. And so then that functions in every aspect of my life. Am I trusting in Jesus uh, for, for my identity for my sense of worth and value is 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 what is God's love for me enough to save and rescue me in that way or am I looking to others am I trusting God to be the one who provides for me or am I trusting in my wealth in the strength of my hands and so what happens in any of those things is that they are all temporary and they can be gone tomorrow right my ability to work and to earn a living could be gone tomorrow, then I, I, I can't look to my wealth to provide for me because I don't have that capacity anymore. Mm-hmm. And so if I am trusting in that thing rather than in Jesus, then when it, when it is no longer there, then I can devolve into hopelessness and despair. But if Jesus is first in my affections, and if I recognize that even my ability to work and to earn a living, the, the wealth that I have is only given by a gift that he gave in the first place, if it's about what um, I think Augustine called rightly ordered affections. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's those things that God is trying to get at, whether it's money, whether it's um, my, you know, placing my uh, sense of self-worth in someone else's opinion, whether it's a desire for power, any of those things, God wants us to lay those at his feet and trust him with those things. And when it comes to finances in particular, okay, so if I, for example, felt God leading me, I really felt deeply that there was someone who was in need that I needed to help. But I knew that if I help them, it's going to be a hardship for me, right? It's going to make things tight for me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, am I willing in that moment to say, God, I know this is this is going to make things a little dicey for me for the next couple of weeks or whatever, um, but I'm going to trust you anyway. I feel like you're leading me in this way, and so I'm going to be generous, and I'm going to give you know, and help. Um, or would I rather say in that moment, my sense of discomfort and what I perceive my need to be is greater than what I feel you calling me to, God. Right. And so then I miss out on an opportunity 
to bless that other person and then to see God's blessing and provision in my own life as well. And if you extrapolate that out over a long time, then, you know, so then what else am I going to miss out on? What else is it that God may be calling me to? Right. If I'm unwilling to move into a place of discomfort to see God at work, you know, am I ever going to step into the the real depth and fullness of the calling that he has on my life? Or will I continue to opt for comfort as my salvation? Yeah, yeah. I really like how you are tying um, <clears throat> your relationship with Christ into this life, because I think so often, like, like you said, I mean, Christians might think of uh, their relationship with Christ as like fire insurance or maybe like a way to escape hell or just to go to heaven, right? Um, But there's so much more to it than that. There's so much positive in this life with having a relationship with Christ for instance, things like not losing your identity when something bad happens to you. Like, like you said, if, uh, you know, if you're really good at a particular thing or a particular, uh, maybe your career or something that you're good at performing at, and then you're not able to do it anymore. If you tied your identity to that, not only do you lose that thing, but you also lose your identity and you have to find out who you are. And that, that, that process is so much more painful than having your identity rooted in Christ, you know, and then having to rebuild off of a stable foundation. And also I think that, um, you know, it helps prevent negative sort of like the the extreme negative things from surfacing. Like, uh, you, you know, one of the things that I think Christians make a mistake of is when they think of sin, they think, well, if I do these things, then I might corrupt my relationship with God and go to hell. But there are often negative consequences to be faced in this life over sin. And those things are not pleasant to go through. And I think that if we increase the discussion about the negative consequences of sin in this life, then maybe we can give like an added reason for people to respect the commandments of God and to understand why they're following the commandments of God to begin with. Um, You know, so like another thing that you had mentioned, Todd, was uh, about closing off potential windows of opportunity. You know, if you're if you're living your life in service to your wealth or whatever it is, if it's just not in service to Christ, then you could end up in a situation where you're not sowing seeds that are are meant to give you a, a bloom of well-being later in life. I mean, if we don't have faith to sow seeds, when we look at the possibility of sowing seeds, all we see is the sowing of seeds. All we see mm. is the sacrifice. We don't see the potential future that the sacrifice is going to usher in. And so if our number one policy is, okay, no discomfort. I don't want any discomfort. I don't want to diminish my wealth. I don't want any of these things to press in on me. Then we could end up in a situation where we deprive our future of the possibilities that it could have of of the, of the greatness that that could be in our future that God wants for us. And, and when I say greatness, I mean, I really do mean spiritual well-being. I mean, uh, uh, an examined life. I mean, a life of uh, peace and stability and those sorts of things. I think that sacrifice is required for all of that. And I think we do run the risk of not, of not sowing those seeds. If, if sowing the seeds themselves requires a personal sacrifice and requires a little bit of discomfort. Yeah. And I think we fail to, we fail to recognize that, um, well, that faith is a compounded thing. Right, the decisions that I make today, the small things that I do today, um, are leading toward the greater things in my tomorrows. Going back to the example that I was giving, if if I'm not willing to give a small amount, right? If I feel the Lord prompting me to do something and to help someone, and I'm not willing to do that, well, 
then I'm never going to then find myself in a position where I am able or willing to trust God in a greater thing. Um, Jesus said it this way, right? When he he's he's telling this parable about, of course, he's talking about people standing before God at the end of time, but he says, you've been faithful over a few things. Now I'll make you ruler over many. And, and there's a principle that is there. If we will be faithful in the small things that we know to do today, the things that God's placed in front of us today, that will set us up for God entrusting us with greater things in the future. We, you know, we have sometimes this real sense of the heroic. We want to do these grand and great things for God, but we see them as disconnected from the small things mm-hmm. that we're doing today, and they're not. Mm-hmm. Right, for sure. Colin, what's your thought about people being inherently good? Like, do you think it's possible for people to be inherently good, or do you think that this is something that? Uh, is this if somebody really is good and I don't mean virtue signaling so it's definitely the case that someone might do something or do a good act uh, to appear good mm-hmm. but then their motivations aren't right in that situation and they're not really they're not really trying to be good they're just trying to appear good uh, do you think it's possible for people to be inherently good maybe even without the spirit of God working through them well I mean I think it's very clear in scripture um, that we are born into a context of evil. Um, you know, Adam and Eve both fell. I mean, I don't want to go that far back, but we're not born into a clean context. We're not born into a good context. I, I, I know there are ways that we would prefer, um, you know, to be born maybe in a hospital, somewhere safe and sanitary and that kind of thing. But as far as spiritually, uh, we're born into this world, which is a fallen place. And so um, I know we're kind of uh, heading back to the original question about, uh, does that mean I'm a bad person if I don't give to the church? Let me just say this first, if we are going to circle back just a little bit. Um, pertaining to giving to the church and these values and planting seed, these are principles that are held for a standard for those that have committed themselves to follow Christ. So let me be very clear. If you're listening to this right now and you are not a follower of Christ or have not accepted him as your Lord, um, this may not necessarily pertain to you yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I don't want to make an assumption about someone I don't yeah. know who holds values that are not familiar to me and are not similar to mine. Um, or to a biblical worldview. Uh, obviously, we're talking from a biblical world worldview here, mm-hmm. um, and using scripture. Which, again, if if you don't hold scripture in authority, um, this conversation isn't going to make a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I don't think that human beings in general are good. Um, I I don't believe that in any context any of us are righteous no matter yeah. how long we've been with the lord or what scripture, uh, how much scripture we know, uh, how often we've been to church, or how much we give. Right. What values yep. we hold, what character we've built over time. Um, I don't, I, again, I don't mean to continue to belabor this point. Um, we are not bettering ourselves or becoming good by giving. Mm-hmm. That is not right. a scriptural uh, belief or value. It's, it's not in there. But what we're doing is we are becoming more of the likeness of the one we follow. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole idea. Yeah, and I think it's important, and and I'm maybe opening in a whole another bigger can of worms, right? But uh, people who don't know Jesus can and do often good things. 
Absolutely. Right? We don't have, as followers of Christ, we don't have the market cornered on kindness or generosity or compassion because every person on this planet is an image bearer of God. Sure. And so those seeds are resident in us. Um, and so it's not that that people who don't follow Jesus don't have a propensity for good things. It's that all of us also have a propensity towards sin. And that's what God wants to get at and is reconciling through Jesus. And so when we talk about that, we have to make sure that, that, that we understand, that we make clear that, look, again, as Colin was saying, it doesn't make you a good person because you give to the church or don't give to the church. It doesn't make you a better person because you give to the church. Uh, it it can and should be an indication of the work that God's doing in your heart and that you want to be involved and invested. And, and let me say this too, not just in the local church kind of thing, right? But in the work that God is doing in the earth that expresses itself by giving and serving in your local church, in the community of faith that you're connected to, but it also should impact every aspect of your life. Generosity is not just about giving to the church. In fact, it's not primarily about giving to the church. If you're a person who lives in, a, in the same radically generous way that God did, you're going to be giving out of that overflow of your heart in, in every way that you can to bring the kingdom of God to bear in the earth. And, and, and a lot of that will be in ways that, uh, at least if we're following a biblical example, that no one will ever know about. You mm -hmm. just are kind, right? And so uh, I think I've said this to Michael recently, uh, the goal of the the life of faith, the goal of the spiritual life is not to do the kind of things that Jesus did. It's to be the kind of people who do the things that Jesus did. Mm -hmm. And those are radically different things because one is about behavior modification. And so like, yeah, I can I can give to the church and I can be kind to my neighbor and I can and those are all good things, but if those are the end in themselves, if if I am looking and if I think that those are the things that are earning me some favor with God, then I've completely missed the boat. Well, and those things, like you mentioned, kindness, that is a fruit of the spirit of God in you, right? And so that is something that's being produced. That's the outward fruit of something happening inside. There's a process, there's a relationship, there's something else. It's not, like you said, it's not behavior modification. That's just the doing. That's just producing to produce. Right. But when you bear fruit, even passively, um, well, then again, maybe not so passively, but from an effort, an inward effort to become more like, like the one you're following Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it seems to me that it's more about like a mode of being than it is about the actions themselves and pursuing the actions themselves. It's about, like you said, Todd, about being the kind of person who would naturally do godly and Christ-like things. And it is certainly the case that we are not born into that mode of being. We're not born into, uh, it's not, sainthood is not by nature for us. And and if you're outside of the faith and you want to investigate this yourself, just look at situations where children aren't raised effectively. I mean, you know, if, if, if we were naturally saints, then we would be able to grow effortlessly into saints because that would be our nature. But that's not what we see. What we see in situations where children are not giving, uh, given a proper upbringing or proper guidance. This is not like a overgeneralized statement, but generally speaking, there are issues. Uh, there are issues that require parenting to sort out. 
children require correction. They, they need to be raised. Uh, if we were naturally saints, we wouldn't need to do that. We would just, we would just blossom into sainthood by nature, and it wouldn't, there w- it wouldn't be effortful for us. Yeah, you wouldn't have to teach children to share. Right, exactly. Or to be generous, mm-hmm. right? Right. So this is kind of interesting. Um, this kind of goes with something that we brought up, and this is definitely another can of worms. But um, so if it is the case that kindness is the fruit of the Spirit of God working through you, then could we also say that to the extent that sh- someone outside of the faith is showing authentic, genuine kindness, that they are responding to the Spirit of God inside of them, even if they may not know that they're responding to the Spirit of God inside them? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and this is, I started to kind of go down this road a minute ago. So, uh, we have to understand the distinction between common grace and saving grace, right? Mm -hmm. Common grace has been given to everyone. All of us experience God's kindness in the good things of creation. And all of us, again, because we are created in the image of God, have that imprinted on us. There's a reason that we understand kindness to be better than cruelty by just by nature right there's a reason that we understand for example intrinsically that murder is wrong there's a, you know there are those things and that's common grace and that's the kindness of god toward us which the bible says leads us to repentance and so yes when people outside of the faith are genuinely doing acts of kindness, working in areas of compassion, trying to bring good to bear. Yeah, they are responding to the image of God that was created in them. Uh, and the the hope then is, and, and the way that God, I believe, works is that uh, he will in some in his good time right reveal that to them like they'll re- begin to respond to that thing and then when they hear the message of Jesus there the Holy Spirit comes in and does the work that he does and that begins to resonate with them and then they receive by faith saving grace mm-hmm. right that it goes man I God was at work all along and I never even knew it Yeah, and I think that one of the things that you can take away from listening to that piece is that maybe if you're outside of the faith and you're not sure about the whole Jesus thing, but you really love being kind and you really love love in general and you're just, uh, you you view yourself as a a genuine, honest, upright person, pursue those those virtues, like really pursue them. And, And don't pursue them in a way that you want others to think that you look good but pursue them because you love pursuing them. And I think that that will take you down a path that will will result in repentance and saving grace if you pursue that. Yeah, the danger, uh, and it's not just for people outside of the faith, man. People, we we in the, we inside the church, the, the insiders, right? We can do this same thing, is that we can make the mistake of trusting in our good works to, to, to gain us favor with God, you know? And like trusting in that to be the thing that has saved us. Um, Man, there are there are plenty of us who think that we were really pretty good people when we came to Jesus already, you know, and all he had to do is kind of dust us <laughs> off and polish us up a little bit. But really, you know, the work was pretty much already done. And at the and that's not what the scripture would hold out to us at all. Again, what common grace would say is that any good that we do is the grace of God on us already. It's not because we're intrinsically good. It's because God 
has been gracious toward us. We experience joy. We experience the goodness of this life. We experience love. We experience, you know, all of those things are works of grace by God toward us. Uh, In terms of our own righteousness, we don't have any. The scripture says that our righteousness is as filthy rags and that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray, that every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I don't want to give the misperception that just because you're doing good things, that um, that, that means that, that, that God is pleased with you, right? Um, that that's not the case at all. We are all marred by our sin and need the work of God. We need to place our faith in Jesus and in the work that he has done and recognize that any good thing that I have is because of him. That's good. I, I think that a lot of people, if uh, I could interject here, I think that a lot of people, um, if you haven't watched uh, Pastor Mel or listened to the sermon from this last week, uh, just from the title and the passage, a lot of people said, okay, we're talking about money this week. Prepare yourself. Um, hold on to your wallet. Um, but this conversation, if you're just hearing this conversation before you listen to that, um, you may have thought the same. But obviously at this point, now that we're you know a few minutes in and several talking points in, you realize this isn't about money. Mm-hmm, right. This is about values. And so like... Um, you know, the question is often raised, like, why, why do churches worry about money so much? Like, why do pastors preach about money so much? Um, newsflash, Jesus preached a lot about money, mm-hmm. money specifically, yeah. and not about how to make it grow or how to build wealth. Um, not, you know, five easy tips to working out your family right. budget. Okay. Right. Uh, that wasn't in the Bible, but because we put so much value in currency, mm-hmm. um, Naturally, I mean, uh, currency is a man-made means of transferring value. Um, I don't know if that's like a good definition, but that's, I mean, just off the cuff. It it works. Yeah. And so again, we're talking about value here. Um, I, I've been in contexts and, and I've been to plenty of churches or listened to pastors that have, um, maybe, maybe abused how often the Bible talks about money, currency, and again, like we do live in a natural world, like uh, we're in a studio that's uh, paid for by the generosity of people that give, right? Um, we're, we operate and do outreach and, you know, support m- ministries because of the generosity of people that give, um, because we believe that's what God is calling us to as we advance his kingdom. So money does have a part to play, but it, it doesn't hold anything a dollar bill is not nearly as much value as in someone's intentions building someone's character yeah um, and and, well the kingdom of god ultimately so yeah it's about lordship yeah it really is about lordship uh you know and and mel pastor mel kind of touched on this uh when he you know he talked about he said there are some of you who are would much rather write a check to the church than forgive your enemy. That one hit close to home. So <laughs> thanks for mentioning that yeah. one. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, you know, and so uh so it's really not about money. It's about lordship. And and that touches every aspect of our lives. It it's just that that particular thing uh is is really common for all of us because we place so much of our security in that. If we think, if I have plenty of money, then I'm, 
I'm okay. I'm mm-hmm. safe. I'm secure. I, I don't have to worry. I don't have to, you know, and I can, I know where my next meal is coming from. I know that my bills are paid. I know that. So, so it's our security is held in that thing. And what, what the, what God is trying to get at and what scripture is pointing at when it talks about those things is that we place our faith in that rather than placing our faith in security in Jesus. And again, wealth can be gone tomorrow. Yeah. And so we we end up placing our trust in temporary things. And when those temporary things are eroded or they are taken, then we can devolve into hopelessness and depression and that is, and God doesn't want that for us. He wants us to overcome the world even as he overcame the world. And that has to do with us submitting and surrendering to his lordship in every arena, including the financial one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you think about money, a couple of the questions that you might hear outside of the faith pretty frequently is why does the church care so much about money and why does the church care so much about sex? Um, maybe those two things are like, well, it's my business. Why, why does the church need to know about that? Why is my pastor asking about that? Why does the Bible talk so much about that? And I think that the, at least part of the answer is that those two things make up the maybe the most tempting traps for idolatry, because we are really talking about idolatry here if we're talking about investing our faith and our security in something other than God. And I think that that it is the case that that seduction and bribery are two of the most uh, common and effective ways of compromising human beings in this life. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, it's three things, money, sex, power. Oh yeah. It, it always comes back to those three things, money, sex, power. Um, and absolutely, it has to do with our sense of identity, our sense of security. Um, and we, we just end up placing faith in those things when the values of the kingdom of God seem to be so counter to that, right? I mean, this whole series of sermons that Pastor Mel's been preaching is is about that exact thing, right? To, uh, you, you know, you read to, um, I'm going to blank on all of it now, right? So, um, <laughs> but, you know, to lead, you must serve. That, that, ha- that speaks to power, right yeah we about submission and surrender as a means of leadership rather than lording over others and domineering and wielding power in the way that the world does when we talk about money in this way it's about again surrendering that thing to the lordship of jesus and trusting in his ability to provide for us rather than you know looking at wealth and in the same way that the world does. Uh, if I can lay up as much treasure for myself here as I possibly can, then I will be secure. When the word of, when what scripture tells us is that lay up treasure in heaven, store up treasure in heaven where thieves can't break in and steal and where moths can't come in and corrupt. And so, uh, you know, it's those kinds of things. And then sex, right? We, we look at sex often as, um, conquest or a freedom of self-expression or you know throwing off restraint and all of those kinds of things when scripture talks about it in terms of its picture of intimacy as the relationship between God and his people and so it becomes a sacred thing and yet in 
our our social construct in our culture, we tend to look at it as a casual thing or as a thing that, um, well... Can I interject here? Sure, absolutely. Sacred. So can can I just suggest this idea that by giving of something that is man-made currency, if you invest that into the kingdom, you could be making it sacred. Oh, absolutely. Like you could take something that has far less value in this world, in this fallen world that can deceive, can... Um, you can wield power over people with money. I mm-hmm. mean, can do a lot of evil things with money, but when you dedicate it mm. to something that is, well, kingdom minded, something that is good um, to a righteous cause, then you take something secular and you make it sacred. Mm-hmm. Like that's transformative. Like that is. Man, that is a killer point because yeah. so imagine, okay. So imagine you have lots of money that you need to decide how to spend. In a world that's mostly driven by money, and maybe you could say mostly driven by power and money is like a subsidiary mm-hmm. of power, um, where you choose to spend your money, if you fund godless enterprises, don't be surprised. If you're sowing the seeds of godlessness in the world, don't be surprised when you reap a harvest of godlessness in the world that you live in. Uh, you know, So if you invest your money in the church, it, again, you're not, we're not- not like, just this church, not not just Summit. I mean, the Church of God, Big C, right? Right, for sure. And it, and even even to that extent, it's not like a prosperity gospel. And if you invest your money in the Big C Church, you're, you yourself are going to reap a financial harvest from that. But it is it just is the case that if you fund godly enterprises, that you're going to sow the seeds of godliness in your community, and that's going to result in a better community for you to live in. So there's a practical element to this too. And I think that's that's part of that idea of taking the secular and transforming it into the sacred. I, I think that, um, you know, the gift of generosity results in impactful changes to the world that we live in. Definitely. I mean, so... I mean, does that mean I can't use my stimulus to go to Cancun? I mean, Todd and I had plans to go down and hang out on the beach for like, well, like two weeks or something like that. But that, uh, jokingly, but that will be gone. I mean, we'll have memories of it. Maybe, you know, uh, we're not really going to Cancun. That would be weird. Sorry, buddy. We had to cancel the trip. Uh, We bought these cool microphones and stuff. So that did come out of your stimmy, but not mine. Uh, uh, But yeah, you you can make something more lasting. You can you can invest in something eternal, that that can impact beyond what you may even ever realize, or you can, you know, let it sneak right out of your hands. Again, I'm I'm all for budgeting and I'm all for, um, you know, being wise with your money and and investing it well and things like that. And and principles being just some basic principles being if you don't make your money go where you want it to go, it'll go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah. And, and I think we need to make this, make it clear too, that we're not talking about uh, choosing to go on vacation or choosing to give to, you know, uh, a charity or to the church or whatever. Although there may be a, there may be a time where you really feel strongly that God is, sure. is calling you to do that, right? Because self-sacrifice is part of what God calls us to. But we're not talking about an either or kind of thing. Uh, it can be both and, right? I mean, it's not that God doesn't want us to enjoy the good things of creation. I mean, he He created it for our 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 pleasure, right? For us to enjoy those things. So that's that's not 
in and of itself an evil thing, but we can turn anything into an evil thing. And so we, it's, again, about lordship, about what, where do we give God domain in our lives? What areas are we willing to allow him into? What areas are we willing to allow him lordship over? And so, so then it becomes a holistic thing, which is really what the gospel comes back to anyway. It's not that, again, God didn't, Jesus didn't come just to save us from hell. Jesus came to initiate and to announce the arrival of the kingdom of God, which is holistic in its nature. It is about the salvation of individual souls, but it is also about the renewal of all things. And if we are the people of God called to follow in that work, then we have to reckon with what it means for us to be a people who are about the renewal of all things. And so what does it mean for me financially to be investing in the renewal of all things? What does it mean for me? Man, and and there are plenty of conservative Christians who are not going to be happy with me saying this, but what does it mean for me when I look at the state of, you know, um, the environment to go, how am I supposed to be about the renewal of all things? Mm. What does it mean for me to look at the refugees at our border and go, how can I be involved in the renewal of all things? What does it mean for me to look at, um, you know, veterans who are not being cared for well and say, what does it mean for me to be about the renewal of all things? We cannot allow it to become a political question or to to devolve into that kind of arena. We have to, as Christians, look at every situation through that lens, the lens of the gospel that says that God has come to rescue souls from sin, from Satan, from death, and from hell, and to be about the renewal of all things. And if I am going to do that, then I cannot just simply fall in line with a particular political party or with the patterns of the culture around me. In fact, the the command of scripture is that I would not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but to be renewed, right? But to be um, conformed to the image of Christ by the renewing of our mind, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so we have to look at every situation through that lens of the gospel and go, how can I, in this moment, in this situation, in this particular arena, be about the renewal of all things? And so it gets at this, you know, this sermon wasn't just about finances. In fact, it wasn't even primarily about finances. It's mm-hmm. about this idea that what I am, where I am placing my seed, what I am investing in the world, what I am putting out into the world will be the thing that I reap, will be mm-hmm. the thing that comes back. And I want that, man, for me, I, I want that to be grace and life and joy and the salvation of souls. I want that to be the kingdom of God. I want that to be about the gospel and God making things new. Yeah, definitely. And it, and it is the case that, you know, uh, you will reap what you sow. And so uh, we should be invested in the renewal of all things because you're part of all things. So if you're not aiming at the renewal of, of all things, then what exactly are you aiming at? And are you prepared for the consequences of your aim? Because if you are going to reap what you sow, it's not as if, and it is the case that sometimes your neighbor reaps what you sow, and it is the case that sometimes people suffer the consequences of your sin. But 
to think that you're just absolved from that yourself, I think is a, a grievous mistake. And I think uh, you'll find is not the reality of the situation here. And so I do want to ask you guys about this interesting point before we move on to the next sermon related question. Um, so Nietzsche thought that most morality found in people was actually just cowardice and that uh, their moral decisions. <laughs> He's such an optimist, uh, isn't he? Um, uh, the uh, the moral decisions that people make, the morality found in people, was not motivated by their desire to be moral or their love of neighbor. It wasn't motivated by them loving their neighbor as themselves. Rather, it was motivated by either uh, self-gain, like if I do this thing for these people, then maybe I'll get this in return. And it was also maybe primarily motivated, in his in his eyes anyway, primarily motivated by uh, the fear of the consequences of immorality or the consequences of violating social norms. And so well, I mean, I'm not an expert on Nietzsche. Um, I don't believe Nietzsche was a Christ follower or even believe, oh. was he an atheist or agnostic? He, yeah, he was a, a radical atheist. Hardcore atheist, Okay, yes, sure. yes. Okay, I, I, I felt that. Um, and I don't know a ton of Nietzsche. I've, I've read some uh, and I've heard some quotes and things like that. Um, cowardice, that would make sense in his worldview. But if, if, if I can say, I think I can meet him in the middle and say, I fear my Lord. Like there's a healthy fear of God. And so morality is me knowing that there's consequence. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not afraid that I'm going to go to hell because I've received Christ. But if I had a full realization of hell or the consequences of, of what will happen to me on this earth before I meet my end by living in immorality, then yeah, I think I would agree. Like, I don't think I would be very brave facing those things. Some might call that cowardice. Some says that's like the fear of the Lord. Um, but if the Lord is removed from that context, then maybe it is considered cowardice. But um, anyway, sorry. Oh yeah, I think you make a, an awesome distinction there because I think, uh, you know, to fear the Lord and to fear the consequences in terms of hell, I don't think it makes you a coward. I think it makes you wise. Um, and, you know, and from Nietzsche's perspective, if you're thinking of it in terms of fearing, and I don't know which perspective is more prevalent in the West right now, which is why I think it's kind of a pertinent question. But um, if the fear is of violating collective norms, well, then what happens when the norms change and there's nothing left? There's no consequences anymore to... Uh, you get canceled. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I don't I'd know. rather be canceled by man than by God for sure. So just just saying. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Sorry. Okay, I uh, just I'll I'll touch on that just briefly. Um, I think Nietzsche misses the point. All of us, uh, all of us, our motivations are a mixed bag, right? the The problem is not that sometimes my compassion or my goodness is motivated out of self-interest um the problem is when i don't recognize that mm -hmm. right and then again not to keep beating a dead horse or coming back to the same thing but then if i recognize that often my goodness is motivated by selfishness then the call then is to surrender and submit that to the Lordship of Christ and say, God, change my heart. Again, I don't want to just do the things that you did. I want to be the kind of person who does those things. It's easy to be kind to others when I am a kind person, right? It's, people who are not kind in the least bit 
can do acts of kindness. There are plenty of really cruel people who give a ton of money to charity because of their own self-interest, right? We can do good works outside of goodness in some ways, right? Um, I don't want to just do those things because it is uh, beneficial for me, right? There's a there's a monster tax write-off if I give money to this charity or there's this or there's that, right? I I don't want to be the kind of person who gives out of self-interest. And so so then I have to submit that to God and say, Lord, I don't want to be a person who just does kind things. I want to be a kind person. And and, and I know that maybe we're, we're really toying with some semantics, but those are really different things. Um. And so I think Nietzsche misses the point in that, yes, all of us sometimes are motivated out of selfishness and self-interest. The problem is not that that is the case. The problem is when we don't recognize it. Mm-hmm. Because when we recognize it, then we can begin to unravel some of that and submit and surrender that to God and allow the, the Holy Spirit to do the transformative work right. that he does in us to make us like Jesus. Yeah, and it shows us our need for a Savior. I mean, like it... it if it's the case that even the most well-meaning Christian, um, if their motivations are still infected by self-interest, you know, I think about back to the story of the rich young ruler and just the idea of Christ telling them that uh, to get into the kingdom of God is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So it seems to me uh, roughly analogous to saying that, okay, for your uprightness to merit you a position in the kingdom of God is not possible because of, of the... Uh, nefarious things that are creeping into your motivations as a human being, but with God, all things are possible. And then when we see the, uh, we see the maybe not so wholesome motivations that are fueling our behavior, we, we acknowledge those things about ourselves and about others. And then we see the need for the savior for ourselves and for others. And I think that that's a pretty important point there. Um, so this can be a good, uh, closing question because I think this one might take a little bit to unravel. Um, what implications? So Pastor Mel brought up the passage about the impoverished widow dropping the two coins in, and how Christ said that she gave more than you know the people who were generate who were uh, generous with out of their surplus, even though the actual amount they gave was greater than the impoverished widow. Um, what are the implications of this story um, of the impo- the story of the impoverished widow? What implications does that, does that carry for faith that is evidenced by work? And do you think that we should bear in mind each person's spiritual limitations and each person's spiritual giftings when it comes to evaluating their service to the kingdom of God. Uh, man, it is not only dangerous, but I think destructive when we judge others based on the merits of their works. And it's not that there that, that that fruit isn't born in the lives of people who are submitted to Jesus. It is, right? I mean, the call of Scripture, the call of God for us is, I mean, the Bible says that there are works, that good works that God created for us to do, at, you know, from the foundations of the world. And it talks about bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. And it talks about the fruit of the Spirit that's born out in our lives. It's not that there's not external evidence for those things. It's just that external evidence can be faked. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Pharisees were really good at it. 
And if we're honest, we're really good at it. Right. Right. I, I, I gave an example in a class that we were, you know, t- I was teaching a few weeks ago. Like, you know, the scriptures call for us is to take the lowest seat. Right. To not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And if we go, don't take the seat of honor. You know, the scriptures talk about that. To, you know, just if they if they invite you to sit there, then go. But but don't assume that that's where you're going to go. Take the lowest seat. Be willing to consider others as more important than yourself and all of those things. Guess what I will do? I will take the lowest seat because I know I'm supposed to. But then I will want you to recognize that I took the lowest seat. Oh, look how holy Todd is. He took the lowest seat. Well, in that moment, then taking the lowest seat is not an act of humility. It's rather an act of pride. Mm -hmm. It's flip-flopped. And it's the motivations of our heart that, that that is what God is getting at. And so... There could be someone, it's possible for someone to, to really be broken and contrite on the inside, but there not yet be an external kind of expression of that because they're still growing into that thing. By the same token, it's possible for someone to grow up in an environment where they, they go, hey, good people do these things, mm-hmm. right? And if you want to get ahead in the world, you're going to do these things. And so they exhibit all of these external things but on the inside is pride and malice and um, greed and you know all of those things. Right. And and so when we start to judge based on the external things, man, we 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 find ourselves in a dangerous place. Um, because not only then do we maybe give credit to people because you know they look like they looked the part. Uh, but then we also can fall into the trap of of evaluating ourselves based on that as well, and and doing the thing that Jesus talked about, where you know we're trying to get the speck out of our brother's eye when we've got a log sticking out of our own, and we don't even recognize it. You know, I I give the example sometimes of like if I had the best day I could ever possibly have, right? I don't sin for an entire day. Right? I don't have one evil thought. I don't I don't I don't get angry with the guy who cuts me off in traffic. I respond to everything that I you know, every situation with kindness. I, I'm doing works, I'm giving, I'm doing you know I have a whole day where man, I am killing it, right? And then at the end of that day I go, Yes, I that I did great today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well then it's then it's pride, right? Mm-hmm. Pride comes in at the end and it just it blows the whole thing. And I thought you were going to say, and then I woke up from my nap. Well, uh, yeah, that, that would have been a dream. Day. It yeah. would have been a dream okay. for sure. Uh, outside of <clears throat> the, and this is really the point, outside of the grace of God and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I can't do those things. There will always be something inside of me that wants to take credit. That's the thing that that the Lord is trying to get at. Again, it goes back to this idea of who gets to be in control, who gets glory, who is Lord. And and if we're not willing to recognize that for all of us, it's a mixed bag, man. There are some times that I, I can do those things that bring honor and glory to God out of a completely pure motive. I want to see the kingdom of God brought to bear. I want to see Jesus receive glory. I want to to bring good into someone else's life. 
But then there are also times when I can do those things just because I think that uh, that's what I ought to do, or I want some credit for it, or I, you know, um, you know, I can be like I like the Pharisees in the Scripture, where I'll do my good deed out on the corner for everyone to see, so that so that then you know I am praised. Uh, and if we don't recognize that that mixed bag exists for all of us, then we uh, we fail to recognize our need, our desperate need for Jesus. Can I can I make an observation here too about this specific passage mm-hmm. with the impoverished uh, widow? Um, again, I, I think hit, you hit the nail right on on the head. Lordship, I think, is what we're really talking about here. Um, the one that gives all things, the one that provides all things. I mean, he's our. He should be our Lord. I mean, um, so the widow here in context, so Jesus is sitting next to the, the offering box or wherever they put their, their gifts in and in probably an awkward setting. I don't know if this was a regular practice for everybody to just watch the box, but uh, there were people there trying to buy favor from the synagogue and, and, by prestige, by bringing their gifts, their massive gifts. And in contrast was this woman who had nothing. She, she didn't have a husband. She didn't have a means of provision that allowed her comfort. She was at the end of herself and she gave what she had left, which wasn't much. The, the fact that she would come to the end of herself realizing her inability to advance herself socially to advance herself in in any any arena yeah including spiritually that that meek and humble spirit is what god rewards that's why this kingdom is upside down and that's the contrast uh that jesus was was bringing out there so there's got to be and we're talking about planting seed and and what you plant in the earth um that meek and humble spirit has got to be recognized. There's got to be some truth in that, um, in this whole conversation. Um, not that, um, she had this wonderful ability to do a great act of kindness, but that she got to the end of herself and realized that that was the position that she needed to take before God. Yeah. And so whatever out of that, I mean, whether it was, uh, two mites or three mites or um, one mite, whatever it was in that attitude and in that uh, uh, from that state, that human state whatever she gave was was right before God. That was an example of the kingdom. Yeah, Her offering said, God I trust you. Yeah. Right? And this is that's exactly what Jesus is getting at. That's why he says these others gave out of their abundance they gave out of the overflow of their abundance. She is given in a way that's sacrificial, in a way that says, you know, she gave her, according to scripture, she gave her the very last that she had. And so she is taking the very last that she has in her hands. And rather than going, okay, I'm going to take this to the market and buy my next meal, she's saying, God, I'm going to trust this with you. I'm going to trust my life in your hands. I'm going to trust my well-being into your hands. And this isn't just a question of money. In fact, I think Jesus tells the story in the context of money because it so resonates with us as people, but it is not limited to that. 
I mean, when we look at the idea of loving our enemies and doing good to those who have, you know, who despitefully use us or say all manner of evil against us or those kinds of things, when we look at that, it's taking the last that we have. Maybe you feel like you're, um, your reputation has been slandered and your dignity has been taken away from you and you you look at the the person who you feel is responsible for that and and to to take the last shreds of dignity that you feel like you have and lay those before the lord and then be kind to that person that's sacrifice Mm -hmm. and that is what god is calling us to that's what god is trying to get at and the way to that is often through our wallet because we hold first to that sense of security so tightly. Mm-hmm. Man, that's really good. Ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Todd Stanley, Pastor Colin McKnight, this is Summit Church, and you're listening to Summit Podcasts. I want you to go to summitpodcast.church forward slash subscribe and enter your email. It's totally free, and you'll be able to get uh, email notifications about all the new content that's going to come out. Uh, if you have not yet watched the sermon series from this past weekend, which is Upside Down Week 3, which is what this podcast was about, um, I would encourage you to go to, you can get on YouTube, you can go to Summit PA church on youtube and watch it there or you can go to summit pa church dot summit pa dot church sorry uh and you can catch it there also but you should go back and watch it and these are meant to sort of be paired with that thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the sermon discussion and we will see you in the next episode grace and peace